Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. Front row people, thanks for sitting in the front row. We've moved you closer, um, so you could be in the spit zone. So anyway, I'm sorry. I'll just apologize in advance. Get your, uh, get your bulletin out, all right? Well, I want to... Uh, we're going to be finishing up Philemon here this morning, and then next week we're going to, I'm going to do a standalone sermon, and then we're going to transition uh, into the book of Genesis. And, uh, and so I want to kind of bring you up to speed on a couple things. Uh, Andrew Wilson did a great job, but I, I just feel like I got to double remind us while everybody's, I got everybody's attention. A lot of change is coming, right? And, um, and so thank you. I can see how many of you this week made an adjustment and came to the night. How many of y'all sat at that light last week for like five set? Yeah, so sorry about that. Uh, so uh, one of the things that's happening around Coastal is uh, we're growing really fast. And, and so that presents uh, opportunities for us to be flexible. How's that? That was it's a great way to look at it, isn't it? It's an opportunity for us to be flexible. So, uh, so next week, uh, we're going to three services. And so those three services are going to be 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, okay? Here's what I need from you, if possible. So don't hear this and go, I can't come to that service time, so I'm not coming. Don't, don't hear that, okay? But if possible, if you could always slide up to an earlier service, that helps us, okay? So uh, we would love for about 150 of you to commit to the 8 o'clock service for a year. Now, that commitment doesn't mean like, oh, I got a friend that's coming to 11, and so I only can come to the... No, it doesn't work. You know, you got a friend coming to 11, meet them at the door at 11 and come at 11. But all in all, we're trying to populate and, and have critical mass for that service. So if, if you're an early bird, and that can work in your schedule. That would be great. Uh, that will help us, okay? So 8, 9.30, and 11 next week. Let's do this together. Three services next week. They are at 8. Thank you. All right. That's great. So, uh, so that's number one. Number two, starting next week, we want you to be in a small group, okay? Uh, this is, and I'm going to preach on this next week, so I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning. Uh, but it, that's a, a, a valuable part of our discipleship process at Coastal. Uh, we are growing quickly, and if you're kind of an attender and you're sitting in a row and you come in and you leave, uh, you're never going to get the kind of ministry that we think you need to grow to follow Christ, and our vehicle to do that is small groups, okay? So in your bulletin, everybody get this out, wave it so I know you got it, okay? It is great, I only see six, okay? So that means only six people are getting us. Listen, you really need to take this home, look it over. Uh, we have a menu in here of a small group that will, will fit your time, will fit kind of your place in life, may fit your location, okay? Really, really, really look this over. You're not yet in a small group and plug in. The way we do small groups around here is we ask, we do it twice a year where we ask for a six to eight week commitment, okay? And that way, if you try a small group out and you go, uh, you know what, those people were super weird and that's not for me, that does happen, okay? And so it gives you the opportunity to try another one the next go around, okay? But I think we all can, com I mean, if we're serious about following Christ, certainly we can 
we can commit six to eight weeks uh, to follow Christ in community. All right. Now, some small groups can t- decide to keep going, and that's great. Uh, some decide to just do it for the six to eight weeks. That's great. And then we supplement that time with our spiritual formation classes. How many of y'all attended one of our spiritual formation classes over the last four weeks? Great. They were fantastic. And uh, if you missed that, if you didn't go to one, you missed out. They're really, really great. And we cover a variety of topics there. Okay. Uh, so that's coming in the next couple weeks, as well as the fourth and fifth grade ministry starting next week uh, with led by Andrew Wilson, and uh, so yeah, so a lot of change is coming, right? Good stuff. Uh, Don't forget when you leave today, all right, there's actually two ways you can go out. Did you know that? You don't have to just go to a right, you can make a left and go down and kind of go behind the old Kroger Kmart building and then make a right and go that way too. So there's two ways in, two ways out, and that helps us with traffic flow. I'm sure many of you have seen um, layman, oh, one more thing about small groups, by the way. We do sermon-based small groups. So, like, how do I prepare for a small group? You come here, you take notes, and it will be discussed further in your small group, okay? So, Sunday morning attendance prepares you for your small group discussion time, okay? Okay, good. How many of y'all seen Les Mis at some level, right? Um, Yeah, if you've watched the movie, like, I always get confused with the movies because if I see Liam Neeson, I just think Taken, you know? Like, man, he's just going to break some people up and... And if I see you, Jackman, I think Wolverine, right? I just can't help it. Like, I'm waiting for the metal things to come out, you know? But uh, probably the most incredible scene in Les Mis is that, and it's a very fam- familiar scene, is where uh, Jean Valjean uh, is a thief. He's, you know, because of his poor upbringing, all these things, and, and he, he gets out of jail, and he ends up in the home or in, in a, with a priest, and he can't, he kind of goes back to, even though this priest has been kind to him and taking care of him, he goes back to his old ways and he, he steals, he sees the silverware and he realizes, man, I can steal this and kind of restart my life. And in the middle of stealing the silverware, the priest shows up and he, he beats up the priest. And the next morning out in the community, he gets caught by the police and the police drag Jean Valjean back before the priest, right? And, her, and the police are like, you're not going to believe this. He, he told us that you gave him the silverware. And it's the, priest, it's the priest's opportunity to get retribution if he wants. It's the, it's the priest's opportunity to get justice if he wants. But instead of that, what he extends to Jean Valjean is grace and mercy and forgiveness, right? And it's this, it's this scene that changes Jean Valjean's life. And so he says, of course I gave him the silverware, but what upsets me is he forgot to take the silver candlesticks. Remember that? And so he has uh, the nun that's helping him go get the silver candlesticks, and they they shove them into Jean Valjean's knapsack, and and, and the priest says, essentially says, don't ever forget this. Don't ever forget what's been done for you right here today. I'm going to tell you, so we're going to finish this series in Philemon. I hope you have your Bibles out. It's towards the back end of your Bible. I think it's in page 726 in, in the chair Bible. I don't know if you've ever been given, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given, but, uh, but even on earth here, if you've been, ever been given that measure of grace and mercy and forgiveness from another human being, like that's a very powerful thing. In fact, I, I venture to say that all, because we live in a broken and sinful world, my, my suspicion is there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to receive grace, mercy, and forgiveness at a scale so big that you could never repay it. Or there's going to be an opportunity in your life to, to give grace, mercy, and forgiveness at a level that you know this person can never really repay me. 
And so we're going to be on both ends of the spectrum in our lives. And, and both of those are very humbling places to be in your life. And so last week, we, we kind of started unpacking this letter, and to give you some context as a reminder, uh, this very tiny letter in the New Testament is the story of a slave by the name of Onesimus. He steals from his master. He runs off to another city. While in the other city, he, he comes into contact with the Apostle Paul. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and through God's sovereignty, Paul realizes that the Onesimus was a slave under a friend of his that he also led to Christ, a guy by the name of Philemon. And so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. Philemon having owed a debt because he's stolen probably from Philemon. I mean, Onesimus owed a debt because he's stolen from Philemon. And so here he stands, and I want you to get this picture. Here Onesimus, the thieving slave, stands before his master with a letter from the Apostle Paul who loves both of them because he led both of them to Christ. They've both ministered with him and to him. And he stands here with this letter asking Philemon to graciously take Onesimus back. I want you to think, I want you to put on the mindset of Onesimus. I want you to put it on the mindset of Philemon. Because they both stand here. Probably, I mean, I could just, my picture is they're in the doorway of his house, knocks on the door. Philemon's like, you got to be kidding. Oh, wait, before you throw me into prison, here's this letter from our mutual friend, the Apostle Paul. Right? And they begin to read that. And so last week we, wrote, we talked about if there's going to be real forgiveness for sin, it has to be his reception, that you receive that person back in your life when that opportunity takes place. And then there's restoration, that there's a process for restoring a person back to where they were. And finally, and we, I hinted this last week, the final step of forgiveness is restitution. That's your first blank. It's restitution. And we, we see this in verse 17 of Philemon. I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul, man. These are very relational words and they're very tender words where he says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So here's Onesimus. He owes a debt, a debt that he probably could never repay to Philemon. And Paul says, I want you to consider him the same way you would consider me. Did you, I want you to think about this for a minute, all right? This, by the way, this could save your marriage, what I'm about to give you, all right? We'll, we'll circle to that in a minute. You know, the greatest way to love someone is to love what they love. Think about that. The greatest way to love someone is to love what they love. By the way, if you're thinking about going to a small group and you're shy, you know, like, I don't like to go, I'm shy. I don't like to talk to people. Here's an easy way to get out of talking, all right? If you're sitting next to someone that has children, all you have to do is ask them about their kids and then shut up, okay? That's it. (laughs) Hey, do you have kids? Yes. Tell me about them. And that's all you got to do, right? Just be a good listener after that. And they'll go on and on and they'll drone on for hours, okay? But uh, like all kidding aside, like ask if you want to love the Browns, like, ask me about, actually, you don't even have to ask me, I'll just tell you anyway. Like, I can't help, like, here's my kid, he's better than yours kind of thing, you know, and we can't help ourselves. But all kidding aside, like, like there's some of you in this room that, um, like, there's people in the lives of my kids, that teachers that I hardly know. I, they get a Christmas gift from the Browns. You want to know why? Because they've loved my kids on the scholastic level. They've gone over and above in the school system to help my kids in school. And, I, man, they just, they, I'm endeared to them. Why? Because they love what I love. And there's so many in this room, like, you've showed up at my kids' sporting events. 
Like, I'm like, wow, like you took time of your day. And I'm dear to that because you, you love what I love. And there's so many in this room that have taken the time to mentor my children. You have no idea what that means. You know? I'm, I'm going to pick on Jimmy Martin sitting right there. Jimmy Martin, it, it, um, you know, I've, I've poured my heart and soul into this church for a while. And Jimmy Martin served alongside of me for years. And there's a man like him. He's one of our elders here. And, and we served together in ministry for 16 or 17 years. And there's, there's times where there's long hours of prayer and trying to figure out wisdom and how to give leadership and guidance to the local church. And I love Jimmy for a lot of reasons, but he loves what I love. And we love the Lord together. We love this church together. And he's respectful of me and he honors me. And he, listen, there's nobody, he served long enough to know all my foibles and weaknesses and issues, right? But he loves what I love anyway. Like that man, that dear, love what that person loves. I'm going to tell you something. If you're here this morning and your marriage is struggling, probably one of the biggest issues in your marriage is you have stopped loving what your spouse loves. Like be intentional when they start to talk about their work. Oh, he's going to drone on about work again. Like take some time to live, like love what they love. If they have this hobby that doesn't interest you, it doesn't mean you have to do the hobby, but have a, you know, with your heart and with your mind, engage with your spouse and love what they love. And that will draw you closer together. Paul says, listen, Onesimus stands there because I love him. And Philemon, I'm asking you to love what I love. I love this man. And out of mutual respect, I want you to, to love him as well. Says if you, and by the way, he uses the word fellowship. He's, he actually uses the word partner here, which is that fellowship word again. Like, uh, I think a lot of times we think about fellowship as a meal that happens at church, you know? It's way bigger than that. He, he's like, listen, if you consider me somebody that we, fell, we partner together, if we're in this together, I want you to love Onesimus the way I love him. And some of you have stopped loving your, what your spouse loves. You need to go home today and love what they love. The second thing that Paul does here is he, he, he doesn't brush over Philemon's hurt. Okay, he doesn't brush over Philemon's hurt. And, and in fact, he, he makes the promise of restitution. This is very important in the process of forgiveness. Verse 18, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, what does Paul say? What? Charge it to what? That's restitution. Verse 19, I, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention, I love this, I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Isn't that funny? I'm glad you guys got that. See, some people think the Bible's not humorous. That's funny, okay? I won't mention you're going to heaven because of my ministry, right? I might, I might start using that. No, never mind. Anyway, so... By the way, the piece, I'm going to give you a side note here, okay? The piece about I'm writing this with my own hand is very, not very important, but it's interesting, right? So Paul in 2 Corinthians says that he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. He never tells us. There's a lot of speculation. One of the speculations is that Paul had a hard time seeing. If you remember when God converted Paul from Saul to Paul, he was blind, okay? And eventually he got his vision back. But there's some speculation. Maybe he didn't get all his vision back. And in many of his letters, we think that Paul used an amenuensis, which is a big 
whatever seminary word for secretary, okay? And so he, people wrote the letter for him. And so at times he would he'd say, I'm writing this part with my own hand, okay? So that's the speculation. Maybe Paul didn't see very well, all right? So for him to say, and, and what we don't know is if he's just writing this section or the whole letter, it doesn't matter. What he's trying to say is I'm, pas- I'm so passionate about what I'm telling you here, finally. I'm writing this part with my own hand. That's why that's important. Like he really wanted Philemon to understand, like, I'm, I want you to receive this. I understand that there's a debt owed to you. And so I'm writing with my own hand. You can take my word on this. I'm going to repay the debt. That's restitution. And so, as, again, you got to picture the scene. Onesimus is standing there and he has got an unpayable debt. It's bigger than his resources. He's never going to, if it's a financial thing, he's never going to be able to come up with the financial resources to fully pay Philemon back. I want you to think about that in your life. There are people in your life that have invested in you, and I'm not just talking about financially, but that you could never repay. I I made just a, a list today as I was writing the sermon. Like, my parents, man. My parents, you know, they... I had great parents, and I told you, told the men at the men's retreat about my dad, blue-collar guy, worked in the cold. One time, me and, as my, me and my brother got older, we asked him about that. How would you stand working in the cold all these years? And he said, I made a commitment to the Lord to take care of you and your mom, and this is what God gave, put to my hand to do. So I did it as to honor the Lord and to love you guys. Like, wow. You mean you never quit your, your good blue-collar job to go find yourself you know like no i did this because that was what god put my hand to and my dad made sacrifice like i could never repay that i mean he's he's fallen off ladders and he's got joint pain why because he did what god gave him to do so there's a debt like my my wife i mean that poor woman (laughs) stuck with me right i mean she I know she's still married to me because she's committed to Christ, right? Like, I told you, God, I would, you know. The old meatloaf song, right? I said I'd love you till the end of time. Now I'm praying for the end of time, you know? So it's my wife, you know? And I'm so grateful to her. And I could, could she in here, this has got to be doing something good for my marriage. You in here? No, next service. And I, I, you know, I honor Jimmy, but, I, you know, a couple of my elders are in this room. Like, when you serve alongside church leaders that give so much of their time, talent, and church, like, I could never repay that as their pastor. And, and wow, you know, and so many of you give so much to Coastal Community Church because I know it's for your love for the Lord. I know that. But I, I, I'm so honored by that as your pastor. And, like, I could never repay that. And by the way, the Bible does give us stories of people that can make restitution. If you can make restitution, you should, right? Um, you probably know the, the story of Zacchaeus. Right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, poor guy. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. <laughs> the joke would be on us if he's like 6'6". Six, six. Like, wow, uh, you know. But, sorry about the song, you know, but <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And so, but, but what the scriptures tell us is he, he was a... Uh, he was the chief tax collector. Now, if you knew anything about 
collecting taxes in the Bible, the way the tax collectors got super wealthy was all, all Rome cared about was getting their taxes. So a tax collector would go out in the, into the community and he would take more than, his, more than Rome really required. And they'd pad their pockets. Of course, they had the authority of Rome behind them. Okay, so they were able to do this. And so the chief tax collector probably trained the other tax collectors to go out in the community and raise even more money. And so everybody hated the tax collectors. In fact, if you read your Gospels really closely, Jesus always got accused of hanging out with the wrong kind of people, right? Which would be like the drunkards and the tax collectors. The, 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 the Jewish community considered these the lowest of the low in, in the culture. And Zacchaeus, though, he, he, God is warming his heart to the gospel, and so Jesus is coming his way. And because he was challenged with his height, he ends up climbing up a tree. And Jesus, because he's always drawn to people who are drawn to God, okay? Book of James, draw near to God, will draw near to you, right? Zacchaeus is drawn to the things of the Lord. Jesus stops. He said, hey, I want your, I'm coming to your house today. And in that, he, he bows the knee to the Lordship of Christ. He becomes a Christian. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says this, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, what does he say? I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back, what? Four times as much. He understood the, the, the ministry of restitution. And he had the capability. He probably understood, I have stolen from these people. I've collected interest on this money. I'm going to give it back, and I'm going to give it back with interest, essentially. By the way, this is stark contrast to one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 18, right? Remember Luke chapter 18, the rich young ruler, God, Jesus says, listen, if you really want to be saved, and I've preached on this, so I'm not, God, Jesus is not teaching about you can buy your way into heaven, it's a whole other sermon, but Jesus challenged him to be generous and he went away sad. Why? Because his heart was captured with materialism. He couldn't give his stuff away. The difference in the gospel. And so, the, so we are told in Scripture that when it's, up, when it's possible to make restitution. Of course, in this story, coming back to Philemon and Onesimus, this story, the offender is making restitution. We, and, and we've all been offended, right? So, of course, seeking to make restitution is a good thing. But in this case, Paul understands the hurt of Philemon goes so deep and, and it's so big. It's bigger than Onesimus has the ability to pay. So Paul offers to make restitution. Paul says, I'm going to pay your debt. Now, I want you to think about this. This is going to be incredibly humbling to both parties, that's why Paul makes the little tongue-in-cheek, like, hey, I led you to the Lord, right, kind of thing. And you got eternal life because of my ministry, right? So I won't remind you of that, but it's tongue-in-cheek. But, but what, this, this, at this moment, both parties are humbled. Onesimus is humbled because he can't possibly repay the debt. And Philemon is humbled because he does recognize, man, God used the apostle Paul to save my very soul. How could I not now forgive a brother in Christ? So forgiveness always comes back and points back to the gospel, of Jesus. And so both of them stand here humbled by restitution, which of course perfectly illustrates the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, this scene perfectly illustrates the gospel. When we were at the men's retreat, I know it's an offensive, but I can't get the retreat word out of my head, okay? So we're at the men's retreat. The second, the middle, the middle uh, sermon was a friend of Pastor Andrew's, and in the middle of a sermon, he stopped and he looked at me and he goes, Pastor Sean, do you, do you know what propitiation means and, and so my first of, of course I know what propitiation means and I was like actually it's one of my favorite words in the New Testament actually now 
I almost made a joke of, no, I only read picture books, okay? You know, I like picture books and things. But, um, but I said, actually, it's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. Why is it my favorite book in the New Testament? Because propitiation is the idea that while God grants us forgiveness, it's not free to him. Propitiation is the idea that there was a restitution made by our God for our sin through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so 1 John 4.10 actually uses the words, I, I think I messed this up. Okay, so uh, yeah, th- this is not the NLT. So this is actually from the ESV. The NLT translates the word propitiation a little different, tries to give us definition, if you will. So 1 John 4.10 in the ESV says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the, what's it say? Propitiation. It's not a swear word, okay? It is a propitiation for our sins. The NLT translates it, he sent his son as a sacrifice. Literally, God, the idea of propitiation is God satisfied his holy demands of righteousness and holiness towards sinners who owed a debt that they never could repay to God's very own character. He substituted his son who bore the wrath of God's hatred for sin on the cross so that you and I could stand forgiven. Forgiveness is free to you. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're investigating Christ and you come in here with this burden of shame and guilt and you think, man, Pastor John, if you really knew what I had done, like if you really knew, like when I'm talking about Right to Life Sunday and I'm talking about how we support CareNet and you're sitting there thinking, oh, if the pastor only knew that I've had an abortion. That is paid for on the cross. You no longer have to carry the shame and the guilt of that because as Jesus hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was paying the penalty of God's hatred for that sin. Well, Pastor John, you don't know, like, you know, I've cheated on my spouse. I'm a porn addict. Pastor John, you don't know, like, you know, and the list goes on and on of the things you think could never be forgiven by the gospel. You don't understand the gravity of the cross. Listen, by the way, I, this past week I found out, you know, when we first got in the building, I don't, if you're here today, I don't mean this to offend you, but, uh, you know, someone told me, well, I came in the building and didn't have a cross. We have a cross now. Even if I didn't have a cross, I want you to know something. We preach the cross at Coastal Community Church. The cross is where God poured out his holy wrath on sin so that forgiveness could be freely offered to us. Amen? We don't need the physical symbol to know forgiveness and propitiation. Forgiveness is free to us, but it came at a high cost to God. Here's why it's so important. You cannot grant forgiveness to others unless you know forgiveness. And so Paul says to Philemon, put Onesimus' debt under my ledger. Put Onesimus' debt under my ledger and I'll take care of it. It's restitution. So here's the so what about restitution, ready? When you're the offender, if you've offended someone, you have the opportunity to make restitution as an overflow to worship to God because he's loved you in Christ. 
you should make restitution. When the restitution gap is so big and so unpayable, like Onesimus, he could never repay what he had taken, and another person steps into the gap and says, hey, listen, I'm going to take care of restitution, you should humbly receive, even as the offender. When, 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 when you're the offended party and the restitution gap is so big that the, 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 the offender is never going to be repay you, maybe it's a financial thing, maybe it's a hurt thing, they're never going to be able to repay you, and someone else steps in to offer restitution on behalf of the offender, you should humbly receive. Because that's what Philemon did. I read this this week, I think it's a note in your bulletin, I mean in your handout, from John MacArthur. He said, it's, it's right to demand restitution, but it's never wrong to be gracious. It's never wrong to be gracious. Or, final thing on the so what of restitution, when a, maybe you're the offended party and, and the person who offended you will never seek restitution. Maybe you're here this morning and, and the person that hurt you passed away. Like, there's never going to be restitution. And here's what you can do, ready? You can place that offense and you can place that hurt under Christ's ledger. You can place it under Christ's ledger and one of two things will happen. Number one, that person somewhere in their life bowed a knee to the lordship of Christ and the cross covered the debt that they owe. Or, they never bowed a knee to the lordship of Christ and God in his just timing will pour out his wrath on that hurt and on that sin. Those are your options. In fact, I want to I finish this section with a quote, another quote from John MacArthur. He said this. He said, never are we more like God. I, I put in parentheses Christ-like. Never are we more Christ-like than when we forgive. Never are we more like God or more Christ-like than when we forgive. And my, I started this series with, man, my prayer for Coastal is that we would be known in the community as a forgiving people. Why? Well, here's the motives. Ready? Because Paul finishes with motives. Here's the motives of forgiveness. Number one, to be a blessing. God used my life to be a blessing to others. Philemon, verse 20, yes, my brother, please. Paul says, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me encouragement in Christ. Paul says, finally, man, I want you to be a blessing to him. Like, we can run through life with all our hurts and bitterness, and we just kind of run through life embittered, or we can be a people that says, you know what, I forgive you. I'm going to let God take care of justice. Let's work towards being people of healthy relationships, people that other people want to be around. And forgiveness allows a, a new relationship to grow. Second thing is, out of motives, is forgiveness and love always does more. It always goes over and above. Forgiveness and love always does more. Paul says in verse 21, I'm, I'm confident as I write this letter to you, you will do even more than I ask. You know, one of the things I, I love about you guys 
And I know about this church, and, and it's because you're a people that understand the gospel. And in fact, if you've been coming to the church for a long time, coastal for a long time, you're like, why do they always preach the gospel? Why do they spend so much time on the person and work of Jesus Christ? Because when you understand that, the overflow of that is a people that are generous and a people that are loving and people that are forgiving. You have to understand that first. That's why we spend so much time on that. And as I was thinking about, you know, people that go over and above, I couldn't help but think of Coastal Community Church. Did you know, guys, in the middle of a building campaign, you also took your financial resources and built a, a home for some kids in Honduras? Man, that's over and above. And when I stood up here in October and I said, look, guys, this is what we need to finish the project. You guys finished it and we went over and above. And I know if I had another need and I brought it here this morning from the front, you guys would meet the need. That's just who you are. Why? Because you know the gospel and because you understand, man, I worship and serve a generous God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can I do anything less than be generous? I'm so thankful for you guys, Coastal Community Church. I want to be a church that overflows because we understand love and forgiveness third thing is the overflow of forgiveness is hospitality. We become hospitable. Paul says one more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. So you don't hang out with a person that you're holding a grudge against, right? I mean, that's the last thing. you. If you've got a grudge, the last thing you want to do is hang out with pe- that person. Forgiveness means you start hanging out. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be BFFs. Okay, I get that. But, but they're best friends forever. Anyway, so... Um, <clears throat> but when you've forgiven someone, you do say, hey, let's grab coffee and catch up. Let's grab a lunch. Let's, let's hang out a little bit. That's Hospitality. Philemon, this very wealthy man, would not have had the Apostle Paul in his home if he's like holding a grudge against Onesimus and refusing to accept Paul's generous offer of restitution. And so, we started the series by praying for somebody. Maybe that person, maybe somewhere in the last couple weeks you've taken steps, I don't know, to heal that relationship, to receive, to restore, and to make restitution. Maybe you're the offender. Maybe you've been offended. My hope is that we're a people of forgiveness. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe, maybe as we've been talking about this, maybe, maybe for you the time is right now to go make a phone call. Say, let's grab coffee. Not to get back, but to get right. When you have an 11-year-old daughter, you watch a lot of princess movies. Um, I'm a closet Frozen watcher. Okay, I love Frozen. But um, <clears throat> over Christmas, I kept saying to Marty, you want to watch Frozen again? She's like, really, Dad? Yeah, it's great. I, I love the songs. Um, <clears throat> so. But you guys know the story of Cinderella, right? It was recently made into a movie, and um, evil stepsisters, evil stepmom. The recent movie's really good, really paints the evil stepmom as scary evil, you know. And, um, and so at the end, the prince is trying to find Cinderella, who, you know, midnight struck. She lost her 
you know, carriage turns into a pumpkin, all that stuff. And uh, if you all didn't know that, that's where the phrase comes from. You know, get home before midnight or you turn it into a pumpkin. Anyway, so... um, so the prince has this shoe, and he's trying to find this woman that he met at the ball that was so beautiful and captivated his attention. He has this glass slipper, and he's trying to find this beautiful woman with the glass slipper. And finally, after you know, Cinderella's been hidden away, locked in the attic by the evil stepmother, she's been so cruel to her. Finally, the prince shows up, and this meeting takes place where she, she gets to try on the slipper. And this is a really powerful scene. Check this out. I forgive you. I want to propose to you. How many of y'all want to see the end? Okay. They, <laughs> get married. I want to propose to you this morning. That might be one of the most powerful things on earth. I want to propose that forgiveness is, is more powerful than the most powerful military force on U.S. Earth. On Earth, U.S. military holds no candle to forgiveness. Because the U.S. military can crush a fo- foe, but what's it going to leave that foe? Angry, right? Forgiveness can crush a fo- foe, but leave them friends. Money. Sometimes we think money is the most influential thing on planet earth but money probably leaves people envious but forgiveness also exerts influence and it leaves others generous and kind I want to propose to you that that forgiveness may be the most powerful influence on earth when we understand it inside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each of us has the power to grant it and to ask for it. 
I forgive you are three powerful words. It's been offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done in Christ, God says, I forgive you. And as an overflow of the power of the gospel, we can look at others and say, I forgive you. Because my hope is that Coastal will be a people who forgives as we have been forgiven. That we would forgive as we have been forgiven. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you intervened on my behalf. I'm a sinner. I am an offender. And thank you that Jesus bore my stripes, paid for my sin, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus did that for me, that I might know your forgiveness. How dare me be somebody that withholds forgiveness when I have been forgiven so much. I pray that the people of Coastal Community Church would start a revolution fueled by their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be loving and tender and kind and forgiving. These things in Jesus' name. Amen.